0: bulletproof radio a state of high performance
1: today's episode is awesome you are going to hear about several unpublished studies around what meditation and lifestyle does for your mitochondria and for the length of your telomeres so when you listen all the way through uh, to the end Uh, that's when a lot of the good stuff comes out about this unpublished research that might not hit the academic journals for years, but you'll learn about it here. And just a fascinating conversation that goes in directions I did not think it would. You'll really enjoy this episode.
2: What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use.
1: You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is about telomeres. One of the things that happens with telomeres is that they promote the replication of cells, so cancer researchers are a little bit worried about that. And scientists just discovered a protein called, this is a mouthful, it's called ZBTB48, can regulate telomeres. And this compound not only prevents further telomere lengthening in cells that already have abnormally long telomeres, but it might be able to zero in on your cancer cells regardless of their telomere length. So what we're dealing with here is new science says, well, we want longer telomeres to be younger, but maybe some cells like cancer cells have other things going on. And what's happening is that our understanding of these really tiny, seemingly almost invisible things inside cells have a profound effect and we're starting to hack those. And that's why the episode today is gonna be really cool.
2: What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body. Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. for a seven day free trial.
1: Now, before we get into today's episode, if you haven't heard about Bulletproof Fat Water, this is something that we worked on for a long time at Bulletproof. The idea is you don't wanna get sugar in what you drink, but you might wanna enjoy something that has more than just water in it. So we suspend micro droplets of brain octane oil that that creates ketones. So you get fast energy from that instead of sugar. You get a few B vitamins, which also uh, can have an effect on cellular biology about 20 calories in a 16 ounce bottle, sugar-free. And on Bulletproof.com, we'll ship this stuff to you. Shipping is, I believe it's free or ridiculously affordable on this stuff. And when you look at this, we've got new flavors. This, this one is blueberry that just came out. Uh, there's mango, there's dragon fruit, lemon. Uh, and this is something my kids love it. And if you wanted to stay hydrated and just get a little extra boost from Brain Octane without having a full Bulletproof coffee, this is kind of a cool thing and it's totally worth a try. A lot of people now are putting these at their startups. You owe it to your employees if you're an entrepreneur and you owe it to yourself, no matter if you're an entrepreneur or any other person who's alive, don't drink diet soda. That stuff is just bad for you on every level. This is a new take on water. It's kind of cool, it's called fat water. You get it at bulletproof.com. If you'd like to watch today's episode, you go to bulletproof.com YouTube and that will take you directly to the YouTube channel And you can check this out. Or if you are listening in your car or at work or something like that, keep listening. Today's guest is Dr. Alyssa Eppel. She's a Stanford and Yale educated health psychologist studying stress pathways. And she's also a professor and the director of Aging, Metabolism and Emotions at
2: UCSF.
1: And she's been looking at stress and what it does for aging and your metabolism for the past 15 years. And she found something called Early Aging Syndrome and is looking at clinical trials at UCSF and has co-authored a book with Elizabeth Blackburn on telomeres. So, Alyssa, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Dave. I'm so happy to be here and get to talk to you uh, almost in person. And, I, you know, got to be honest, when I, when I hear about what you're doing, I just think this guy's crazy. And then when I talk to you, this is the second time we've been to talk, I just like stunned at how clear headed and logical you are and just your attitude about experimentation. It's just so exciting. It's, It's awesome.
1: Well, thank you. And it's totally normal to think what I'm doing is crazy. And I'll be really straightforward. When I was 25, 26 years old, I made $6 million at the company that held Google's first server. Uh, and I lost it when I was 28. But at the time, I'd had arthritis in my knees since I was 14. I'd hit 300 pounds. I was diagnosed as being at high risk for stroke and heart disease. I had cognitive dysfunction that was so worrisome I bought uh, disability insurance because I had no labs, I had no information anything was wrong with me, yet I, I just felt like I can't bring it the way I know I could. So I was young when I was old, and having run an anti-aging nonprofit group for like 20 years now called the Silicon Valley Health Institute, I've met 80, 90 year olds who are are going all out to be young again. I'm like, wait, I have more in common with them than I do with my peer group. I've got to get on top of this. So my risk tolerance was that of an 80 year old who's like, I got nothing to lose here because I felt like I had nothing to lose. And I, I am married to an ER doctor <laughs> who's only saved my life once uh, at home. Uh, and uh, so I, I do take more caution than maybe you might you might believe. but I am a relatively radical biohacker. Because that's what works for my biology. And the results have absolutely exceeded every expectation I could have had. I have more energy, more focus, more cognitive power. And I look better. <laughs> like everything I can measure. I'm like, wow, I love my life. But yeah, I could have broken something. Who knows? Maybe I did. But mm. I'm, I'm hoping that we all learn from, yeah. from this kind of thing. I'm I'm an N equals one. Yeah. I mix, I mix 10 studies at the same time because I want yeah. the results like a hacker yeah. rather than I had to know it was this one variable. Hey, I changed five things, and it worked. Now I'll take away one. This is totally anti-science. As a clinician, as someone who's studying in in academia, like, what's the one variable that matters? I'm like, what's the one result that matters? You can figure out the variables later, but in the meantime, I'm going to
3: like feel this way right Right. now. Right, you look at packages, I get it. You want to know maximum effectiveness. So what matters to me, like we're going to get into the weeds, we're going to talk about mitochondria and cell aging, but what strikes me is... You love your life. And for someone to be able to have that, uh, just meta view of everything is what matters. And so the, all of the hacking on your brain plasticity to get equanimity, that to me is kind of the grail and not less necessarily like how many years do we live? Like, is it really working? Are you going to live to, you know, 105 instead of 95? I don't really care. But I know, I know it's cool and interesting and scientifically it's interesting, but what matters is what do you do every day and how <laughs> are you affecting the world?
1: My, my goal for aging right now is I think that it's, assuming a truck doesn't hit me or something, I think that I can live to 180. And <laughs> okay. I'm counting on a few technology advancements in the next you know, 140 years, <laughs> just given okay. what's happened over the last 140 years to get there, but I think about 120 is achievable if you take care of your biology and you start at a younger age now. Uh, but I don't wanna live to 180 if I hate my life the whole time. <laughs> so the, the more you love what you're doing, the more you love your life, uh, the more you wanna live it until you're done. And uh, I, I love that you're thinking that way and that's probably because you monitor, you manage stress and you look at that interaction between metabolism and stress, which is missing from so much of the literature out there. And that, that's why I'm really stoked to have you on the show. What's fascinating to me about your work is that even though you're focused on stress You're also focused on telomeres. Can you define a telomere for listeners who don't know what those are? A lot of us have heard of them. They know it's some kind of an aging thing, but yeah. can you kind of give me the the Slightly medical definition, but
3: one that everyone can understand. Sure. Okay. Look at your shoelace the chromosomes that have our genes that make us who we are Are protected at the very ends at the very tips by these telomeres. So you look at your shoelace think of that string as your chromosome. So there's all your genes there. And at the very tip is this plastic aglet that protects them. And when it wears down, it frays, right? We can't use the shoelace anymore. We can't use that cell anymore when the telomere gets too short. So telomere shorten with either uh, cell division. So like, let's just talk about immune cells. We know so much about immune cells. That's what we can measure. It's kind of right. like looking under the lamppost, but this is an important system of aging. So we... Our immune cells divide when we need to fight an infection. So the more infections we have, the more immune cells divide, the shorter our telomeres get. So they can't fully repair themselves to their original length and do that kind of full, uh, you know, protection of the genome. And so as we age and go through different, uh, stressors, you know, stress can also act as we call it sterile inflammation it can cause an inflammatory response even though there's no antigen there's there's no nothing entered the body but our thought infected the body with a sterile inflammation response not good for telomeres so uh, and you know bacteria infections, uh, excessive inflammation all of these things are shorten air telomeres before um, before our time right so if we were Really taking great care of them, they're going to stay longer throughout the decades. And so what we're really talking about when we talk about telomeres is this slow aging process where they're going to shorten a few you know a few base pairs, maybe twenty base pairs a year, but that adds up over time. And if your rate is, let's say forty base pairs a year, that's going to have an effect when you're older. And so when we measure telomeres in midlife, they're a pretty reliable predictor of who gets disease early. And in some studies, who dies early? So they do matter when we're older. When we're younger, they appear to matter too. So in for example, in a study that took young healthy people, they're all like in their 20s, they, they're locked up in a hotel and they have to spray cold virus, rhinovirus in their nose. Who gets the cold? Who gets infected? The people with the shorter telomeres get these raging colds, they need more tissues, they have more symptoms, they're miserable. Poor immune functioning. Regardless of age. So t- short telomeres don't just matter about You know this long view, but they're like they're they do reflect how robust our immune system is even now
1: So this is a really important key for everyone listening a lot of my work is around resilience and Feeling like you have the energy to bring it no matter what life has for you today In fact, that whole state of being bulletproof is is really about that. None Mm. of us are truly invincible, but you're like, wow, I I just have this this unlimited well of energy that I can tap into. And you're saying it sounds like if your telomeres are shorter than they ought to be, that your ability to tap into that might be limited.
3: Certainly for immune robustness. And when we look at people and we stress them out, and, and we do have this question in stress research of how resilient is your stress response system? So what we want to see is a really big peak. We need the stress response, right? Mm. There's all all sorts of reasons why that's healthy. You want a big peak, and then you want a big recovery. You want to, to come down like that. And so we measure how quickly do you recover? The people who recover more slowly ha- appear to have the shorter telomeres. So Whether we don't know what's causal here, but we know that this kind of stress resilience is walking hand-in-hand with the healthy telomeres
1: That is uh, that's remarkable. And so this is something that may be hackable What we don't know it sounds like you're saying is if you did something to make your telomeres uh, longer Is that going to translate into a better immune function or we just know there's a correlation
3: would We would love to know that answer. No one studied that, and so it's we, what we do know is that when we do these intensive short-term interventions, we can boost our telomerase, this kind of anti-aging hormone that protects telomeres, or possibly even lengthen telomeres, what we call apparent lengthening, because on average, they're longer. We don't know if it's like all these fresh, naive cells coming out or not, but we do know these short interventions can appear to... You know improve our immune cell aging whether that's going to lead to vitality and resistance and longevity We don't know. Let's just hedge our bets.
1: So I, I have a, a small tribe of phenomenally successful entrepreneurs and billionaire types uh, Who are doing a lot of the stuff that I do and you know We we talk about it uh, every now and then because they're willing to spend almost any amount of money because they have it uh, to get more youthfulness because Hey, if you can have more energy or more time, those are things you don't get back, you know, living a day where you're at half power or dying a day earlier is something they just don't want to do. And like, all right. So some of them are looking at their telomere length. They're looking at, you know, what can I do as one of hundreds of variables to make myself either more functional or more long lived. Uh, Do you think that maybe we're uh, too far ahead of the curve because we don't know if this is causal or is, is it, Is there enough science right now for us to say, you know, having these longer is probably worth doing?
3: Good question. Uh, I do have a good answer for that because it is, you know, 2017. If -hmm. you asked me that a few years ago, I would say, "Eh." you know, we don't know if it's causal. So when I said that stress resilience and telomeres walk hand in hand and we don't know what causes what, we do know that chronic stress shortens telomeres early and we think that having more robust telomeres you know might uh, it might be bidirectional but we we know more about this kind of stress effect on wearing down telomeres in terms of health so it we used to think they were a marker and maybe a mechanism and now there's all these GWAS studies that have shown us that if you have an index for long telomeres you are more l- likely to be protected from heart disease And same with dementia and same with a few other diseases of aging. So this is as causal as we can get in humans, right? We, we can't create at this point. We can't create longer telomeres and see if that helps someone live longer, but we can see if root cause of long telomeres genetics directly predicts disease and it does. Now there is a twist. There's a double edged sword and you mentioned it already, which is how long should your telomeres be? Do you want them as long as possible? Um, what do we know about? Really long telomeres. They now predict a whole family of cancers. So we really just, what we're really talking about is how oh, let's just try to be in a really healthy range on the long end, but not too long. So it's a, you know, it's a balance. It's just like everything else in life, moderation, balance. We don't want to, you know, I, I supplements seem to be. Causing nudges in a healthy range, but you never know if you're prone to cancer and you're taking a telomerase activating supplement How do you know that you're not pushing yourself over that edge so that you're at increased risk for cancer? I don't know. I'm just saying it's 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 kind of playing with fire
1: It's so funny because almost everything that we know biologically as humans, we sort of go good and bad. Mm. So if it's good, I want more. If it's bad, I want less. But the reality is that there's a U-shaped curve for almost all these things. Like take mm-hmm. table salt. Uh, the current recommendations for salt intake are so low that it increases heart disease risk or heart attack risk because we're not getting enough salt and salt is required right. for our stress response. Yet way too much salt, uh, probably... F- maybe six or more than six times the current RDA might be bad for you as well. So where do you need to be? Same with cholesterol. If you have very low cholesterol, your odds of dying from all-cause mortality go way up. So It's the same, it appears now with telomeres uh, from what you're saying here, that if you have extremely long ones like an eight-year-old, you might not want the cells in your 50-year-old body growing like those of an eight-year-old because that would tip you towards cancer. Do you think that we know the right length like do you want to be twenty percent? You want telomeres that are twenty percent? Uh, longer than average for your age. Is that is that a good rule? Like do we have a rule like that?
3: You know, we don't have great okay. norms, but I'll tell you how, how I think about it when I look at the, the Overall big picture of the literature. I don't want genetically long telomeres. Those are pretty reliable predictors wow. of cancer when I measure my telomeres I want them to be longer. That's related to lower risk of cancer, the actual telomere length. Um, You know, there's always studies that are exceptions, but in general, it's what this kind of result, telomere length is this product of all these different influences, lifestyle, genetics, stress, chemical exposures. And so when you measure it live, and in you know, you're looking at like the result of all these different inputs. And that's when you want to see longer telomeres. All of the things that we know lengthen telomeres, all the natural things are healthy and not going to put us at risk of cancer. So in our book, which is why I thought you would think the book is boring, (laughs) rather than focusing on the hacking pieces, we, we know how to hack telomeres in a sense, and we can talk about that. But we focus on this kind of Set of behaviors Mm -hmm. that carry no risk and that we know stabilize telomeres. And so, like, I'm not a doctor, so it's very easy for me to have a strong opinion about certain psychological, behavioral, uh, and chemical, um, ways to live. But it's, but I wouldn't be out there saying, and if you, you know, you should also be doing these extreme things to hack exactly because Of You know because of the risk and because of this u-shaped curve so you as a hacker like how do you deal with that u-shaped curve? How do you know when you are in the healthy range and not you know in the high-risk range because you've hacked too much?
1: Uh, It's entirely possible. In fact, I can tell you there have been times when I'm certainly at higher risk for some things or another uh, Because the experiment doesn't do what you want it to do but I, I tie it all back all the diseases you mentioned so far Alzheimer's cancer heart disease They're all tied to inflammation and inflammation is always tied to mitochondrial dysfunction That's why headstrong is really it's, it's about. How do you hack your mitochondria? I do feel very safe saying increasing mitochondrial efficiency Having more highly functional mitochondria makes you a more powerful human being and lowers your risk of all diseases uh now that's not to say having extremely long telomeres wouldn't increase your risk of cancer, but having like kick-ass mitochondria is anti-cancer. And so all of my hacks eventually roll back to yeah. how do I make it so that the power production systems in my body work really, really well. And I, I feel pretty yeah. safe from that front. But you know, if I take a high dose of some supplement, like I'm taking a I just bought uh a, a kilo of a white powder from China uh for two thousand dollars. I'm not going to name what that is yet. I don't want, I don't want everyone <laughs> listening to go out and buy that stuff. I'll tell you if it works. But I can tell you it's making a difference. And when I give it to my dog, he's 12. And I swear he's like he's 7 again. Like the difference in a week was overwhelming. And this is something that directly uh, stimulates mitochondrial function. And so it's like, all right, am I doing harm? I don't know. But I looked at the preliminary studies, and they're incredibly promising. And so I'm like, i got to try that because that's, that's where I live. So that that's yeah. kind of the answer to that is... You don't know but if if you look in the mirror and you have a muffin top that wasn't there the day before, that's inflammation. And if your brain is inflamed, it feels different and that's also inflammation. And so when you wake up and you're like, wow, I look good, I feel really good, like I'm full of energy uh, and I have more of that than I did before, that's actually an incredible marker that you're less likely to get cancer. Uh, unless the energy comes from, you know, some stimulant drug like, you know, Adderall or something. That's not what I do. So that kind of, okay. kind of a short answer. I
3: get it. So I think the, yeah, I think the paradigm difference between the, all of this kind of psychological, behavioral, environmental telomere science and the hacking science is this. The telomere effect book kind of summarizes. So, so the main idea there is if you're kind of... Uh, you know, let's just say lazy or not disciplined enough to do extreme things. And you don't think you could keep those behaviors up anyway. Caloric restriction, extreme endurance exercise. So things like that. Can, can we? You actually can yeah. we
1: talk about extreme endurance exercise for a minute. Yeah.
3: Let me just okay, finish on, my yeah, point. Yeah. So basically, if you're kind of lazy like me, mm-hmm. you can live a moderate day. And do these, like, let's say five nudges that you know you can do every most days of your life, and they add up to healthy longevity and a good chance of being, I would say, a centenarian. And they're not extreme and they're doable, and every and and most people can do them. So, like, if you just look at the diet piece, oh, yeah, like the meat, the soda, like most of America is having this, you know, phenomenally toxic, low quality diet. If you just move to the vegetables, there is like food as medicine. What do we know about longevity dose response with vegetables? I know the Bulletproof diet is like super high in vegetables. That's exactly what I say to people when they're like, you know, which expensive, you know, pills to buy, et cetera. It's like, eat a lot of this, these vegetables. And that is your most high you know, antioxidant power. And we already know from all these studies that follow people till they die, dose response, vegetables, longevity. And yes, telomeres fit in there in some way. They're their dose response related to high antioxidant diet and anti-inflammatory diet. What does that mean? Eat your damn vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not, you know... It's not rocket science when it comes to kind of maintaining telomeres, but we can talk about more extreme hacking ways since I know that's it's you know, it's phenomenally interesting. But I just want to point out this really moderate stuff. If you can just you do that every day for decades, it adds up and it matters.
1: You'd be surprised at how common our strategic laziness uh, would be be between us. (laughs) I so I I write substantial books with, you know, I, I, I was blown away that, that Headstrong hit the New York Times science list for bestsellers, even though it's more of an advice book. That was like one of the biggest honors (laughs) I've, I've ever done. But like writing books takes energy, you know, cause you've written a book. Uh, I'm also like this radio show takes a lot and I'm a venture back CEO and I'm a dad and and a husband and all. So I'm not going to spend one minute in any day doing something that doesn't have a high return on these things. So the simple things everyone can do are, are the things that I'm most interested in the things I talk about most like get better quality sleep You're gonna spend X amount of time yes. in bed. What if you got a higher yeah. return on that? Like that's really <laughs> lazy <laughs> and, and mm. I love that
3: <laughs> Yeah, uh,
1: but I wanted to ask about in endurance exercise. I'm one of the early guys to say look chronic cardio is bad for you I know I used to do it when I weighed 300 pounds and I never lost weight from it and I've only had three knee surgeries And there's a bunch of evidence about that, but I had a guy, I think it was, was it Bill Andrews on years ago on the radio show who's doing, you know, these hundred K races, like foot races. And there's some evidence that extreme endurance sports, uh, which are just not my cup of tea, never will be, uh, that they may lengthen telomeres kind of dramatically. What's your take on that?
3: So, so I've read every study there is on this exercise endurance exercise, you know, from sedentary to extreme ultra marathoners. Okay. So here's what we know. Sedentary people have shorter telomeres, no surprise. Right. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's not just how active you are. It's really how much sitting you do. So like people like me are in trouble. Like I exercise every day, but I sit on my, you know, but for hours the rest of the time. Right. So it's, that's not okay. Now we know that we got to get up and move, but So, so sedentariness is one thing, uh, being moderately active is associated with longer telomeres and it's the vigorous activity that, that matters. And for older people, that's often walking, right? So brisk walking is enough. Um, so in marathoners have longer telomeres in most of these studies, but when you compare the people who are, who are, let's say running 10 miles a week, 15 miles a week to marathoners with their extreme mileage and wear on the joints and all and extreme time, yeah. they're, they're really, it's not a dose response benefit. There is no. such a marginal benefit of being a marathoner versus being a moderately fit in person who's doing kind of endurance jogging. And so, you know, so that's where I stand. Is like, it's not for most of us, it's not worth us. Most of us can't be marathoners anyway, but the, the, uh, you know, running, let's say three times a week, and getting your heart rate up for 30 to 45 minutes, or maybe the intensity, the high intensity walking that also does this boost telomerase. We know that from studies. And so if you're doing that chronically, you're doing, you're busting stress and stress hormones. You're boosting telomerase. You're maintaining your telomeres. That's enough. There's other more important things to do than to be exercising for hours a day. The other piece is that U shape curve. So we do know that when people are doing ultra endurance sports, that that a certain percentage of them are really running this edge of, you know, of burnout and overtraining. And when we look at the telomeres of people who feel exhausted and fatigued because they've done too much training, they're shorter, they tend to be shorter in the muscle cells. And boy, that is not what you want. We don't know how well those recover. So you don't want to be, so overtraining is serious. I have a friend who just hit overtraining and Uh really wasn't aware of it but was tired after these long runs and I was like that's not totally normal There should be there can be a little fatigue, but
1: I see this a lot when i'm working With these kind of type a ceos and I used to do a little bit more coaching than I do now Just because things have gotten really busy with bulletproof and I still do occasional things But you get the type a entrepreneur who's like i'm a hedge fund trader or i'm i'm running my company and I decided I want to be an Ironman triathlete, mm. and so I'm going to fly okay. to New York and back in 36 hours, but I'm going to get my training run in in the middle. And these guys have like terrible sleep quality. Their sex drive is gone. Their testosterone's crated, cratered. And like, look, you have to recover like a professional if you're going to yeah. to exercise like a professional. And if you are living that, especially if you're a parent, also. And you're living that. Uh, I travel a lot. I get circadian disruption. I, you know, my I don't know what time zone I'm in. Uh, maybe you don't want to go lift heavy things and run for five miles, uh, even if it feels good because you got endorphins from doing it. It's coming at a cost, and and that's that high end of the U-shaped response curve yeah. where you're getting stress. And yes, it feels good to get exercise stress, but it might not be the kind of stress that's going to make you live longer or perform better uh, in the long term. Do you right. agree with that?
3: Absolutely. Okay. There's, you know, there's, off. there's sometimes sudden heart attacks. If you have a slight heart defect, it would never show up in your life. But if you're pushing that edge chronically that, you know, it does put you at risk of sudden cardiac events as well. I absolutely think it's, I mean, for some people, if it's, it's one of their life goals that they're doing it for other reasons than just helping their health. Cause it's got costs on health yeah. in so many ways.
1: I, I like to point out the guy who ran the first marathon, we know what happened to him. <laughs> you know, he, he ran, I think it was from Athens to somewhere, Sparta, or I, I don't know, some free city or another one, and delivered the message that, you know, the enemy is coming and keeled over from doing the run. So we run to celebrate that. And it's like, that isn't necessarily going to be healthy. It's great if, if, if a life goal is to do a triathlon or one of those. I think that's really uh, something worthy of respect. So you show yourself you can do it. But if you're going to do that every single day, I know people just love it. And I respect them greatly for doing that and it's their life's passion, but it isn't necessarily the healthiest thing you could do. And it also doesn't have a high return compared to the number of hours of training you get. It doesn't have a high health return, but it might have a high, like, I feel great about my life return and just different variables to acknowledge that. Okay. Maybe this isn't the best anti-aging health strategy, but man, I love my life. I'm going to do it. Hey, more power to you. But if you're doing it because you think it's going to have that benefit, maybe going for a half hour brisk walk every day and lifting heavy things every now and then might, at least that's my research shows that.
3: Couldn't, yeah, I couldn't okay. agree more.
1: <laughs> cool. Uh, and that's what I, I tend to do. And I oftentimes don't even go for a walk every day because it rains where I live. So I stand on a whole body vibration <laughs> platform and you know, that, that also has its different effects. So it's that like, bad. Who, who knows, uh, but I, I, I want the time back that I would have had to spend doing that. But if I knew it would double my lifespan, I'd run for an hour every day, even if my legs hurt.
3: Mm-hmm. So what's with the lifespan and the ultra longevity? What are you gonna do in those extra years?
1: You know, there's a lot of industries that need disrupting still <laughs> So I played a, a big role uh, The very the very first product ever sold on the internet first e-commerce before we had the name for e-commerce was out of my dorm room It was a t-shirt that said caffeine my drug of choice And the second product sold was actually wine the guys who ended up starting wine.com ran virtual vineyards so way back in the early days and then early, early cloud computing, I played a meaningful role in that, uh, which was around disrupting telecoms. And now it's about disrupting big food. Like we've got to do something about this problem. And oh. I, I'm doing you know this neuroscience company, 40 Years of Zen, and I've got solving the world's junk light problem with uh, the TrueDark company. So I, I'm starting things. And I feel like I could spend 100 years uh, moving what everyone does so that we just build oh. the environment around us so that mm. it's self-replicating, so we can make the environment stronger in and of its own self-increasing soil quality. But most importantly, when you build an awesome environment around you, it talks to your genes, it talks to your mitochondria, and then we're all better off. So I, I feel like that's mm. a big enough problem that might take me more than 100 years. And if I can make myself strong and have a great time doing it and, uh, and just build a world where people thrive and the world thrives, hey, that's yeah. a big problem. I, I could spend my time doing that. And if I'm wrong and all I'm going to do is sit around and meditate... Okay. Maybe I'll do that. I have no idea. (laughs)
3: That's a great answer, Dave. (laughs)
1: Um, What about you? How long are you going to live?
3: That's a really good (laughs) question. And I want to live as long as I'm healthy. That's my answer. As long as I, so the Jean Clement, the woman who lived to 122, she wanted, she said she wanted to keep living because she can still do stuff. You know, she was still riding her bike around that little French town. So, anyway, um, I have, we all know what it's like to be sick and it's, and it's no fun. And, uh, so, you know, that's a taste of what it's like to be old. It's really no fun to be, have the inflammation, be in chronic pain. Uh, so, anyway, I mean, I, I really think we're moving toward a phenomenal extension of health span and, thriving, right? The exactly what you were talking about of people being able to use all those years of life and wisdom, and kind of that investment in social capital that we all care about, and be doing wonderful things in our older years together. I love that vision. I you know, what we haven't talked about, we don't have to dwell there is like, so that is where some people are, are going, we're having a, an extension of health span. But it's really Specific to people who have privilege. Oh, and yeah. so then we have majority of people, low income, low education, minorities. They're not, their lifespan is not extending and they're the ones who are having these long pro, prolonged disease spans as well as shorter life. So what are we, you know, how are they going to benefit from any of this research?
1: There's actually a couple things there. When you talk about living as long as you're healthy, uh, when my grandfather was in his 80s, he, after a couple years of allergy shots, he developed an autoimmune kidney condition. He he recovered from it to the point he was gonna need dialysis a couple times a week. And he, he sat down and he said, you know, here's the deal. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna watch golf for a while on TV and I'm gonna have to do this painful dialysis He goes, I think I'm done. So he gathered the family around and said, I'm only drinking wine. No water, nothing else. Uh, I'll probably <laughs> be gone in three days. And it was a conscious decision. Uh, mm. And he goes, I'm kind of excited about dying because I've never done that before. So, you know, mm. <laughs> like a, sci- a way to scientist guess. to the yeah. end. Uh, and and yeah. he passed away, you know, with uh, you know, all of his family present and all, all of that. And then I also look at this anti-aging group I run. We had a board member who was 88 who was dating a 35-year-old. Uh, and, you know, dating not in the, you know, like, like genuinely like they, they cared for each other and it was an unusual situation, sure. But the fact that he had that much energy and vibrance in his life, you know, it's just a very different uh, outcomes that can happen. But I agree with you, living way past when you're healthy and spending all of your money and just being in pain for an extra 10 years of life is is not something that I would do either. Um, but the question about privilege, I spend, and I have even when I didn't have much money, I've always spent a meaningful percentage of my income on supporting my biology, partly because I was just old when I was young. I had uh, you know toxic mold exposure, Lyme disease, they diagnosed me with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue, and all sorts of stuff going on, uh, pre-diabetes, uh, and just all the all the bad stuff. So I'm like, I don't know a better investment of of my income so yeah i'll drive an older car but i'm going to take my supplements and i'm going to do the lab testing i'm going to figure this out and i did Mm. Uh, but when i i look at what's happened in the world of technology and just the the speed of disruption happening now you go back to when i had a a pager yes i'm in my mid-40s so i used to carry a pager uh, and (laughs) this was before anyone could afford a cell phone So you had these investment bankers in L.A. with their $40,000 cell phone that took up the trunk of their car, right? (laughs) Now we've got people in Africa with $1 cell phones who are Mm -hmm. able to communicate. This happened in my lifetime. So the stuff that I'm doing now, where I, yes, I live, I'm recording this this episode right now above a million dollar biohacking laboratory. This is stuff that should be accessible to everyone on the planet. And what's happening is at the very cutting edge of innovation, it's always terribly expensive, and it's always the privileged people who access it first. But by increasing awareness of this and by increasing demand for it, the inevitable thing that will happen is that the cost of it will drop by orders of magnitude. So I'm expecting 10 years from now Mm. that the stuff that is just not accessible will become accessible. And I mean, I'm starting companies to do this Like right next to the Bulletproof coffee shop, we have Bulletproof Labs opening where we have the same stuff I use here available for people to come in and use. And will it be expensive? Not compared to putting it in your house, it'll be more expensive than going for a jog, but you get a much bigger return on the time you spend. And by setting an example there and showing people what's possible, everyone Mm. wants it. When everyone wants it, we will find a way to get it for them and it'll cost pennies uh, when we're done with this. And longevity is a part of that. And mm-hmm. uh, part of this is making the world a better place, reducing overall stress in society, just creating an environment that naturally without any additional cost, supports human life, reduces chronic stressors. We're all going to live longer, but more importantly, we're going to live better. And for the, the people out there who are listening saying, well, I just want this for me. Like it's, you know, what if everyone could live longer? Here's the deal. People who are healthy and have more energy, they're nicer to each other. They won't break into your mansion and kill you. So like it is, it behooves all of us to build a world like that because I like it when people are nice to me and, and you have to have mm-hmm. people who are well-fed and healthy yeah. to have that happen. Like that, that's how the world works.
3: hmm. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a beautiful, well said. And one of the, you know, one of the things that I, that always kind of, um, stumps me, like we absolutely need some, some ways to prevent biological aging, it would be, we all need it, right? You know, you're, you're, you and, and big pharma are working toward this and there so far is nothing from animal models that we can use as humans. There's, you know, there's some hints, there's metformin, there's anti-inflammatories, et cetera. But I, but in general, uh, what we're working against is, uh, really complex biology where there's a lot of different pathways that age, that aging will happen even if we block one pathway. Right. And here's, here's where, you know, rubber hits the road is that most people, not you, Dave, most people are doing things that are speeding up aging, mm. that a pill is never going to stop, period. So, That's where the stress comes in, right? We reduce toxic stress. We'd reduce material deprivation. If people have their needs met, we have a, you know, healthier, uh, society and social network. Then we have hope of raising health span and, and longevity, right? Then, then these pills really matter for public health and society. Right now we're dealing with people dying at half their potential lifespan because of their stress, because of their diet, et cetera.
1: The diet is the lowest hanging fruit. Like It it is unconscionable that you can go to the store and buy foods that are no better than smoking. And you go to most restaurants and you try to order a meal that's a plate of vegetables. You simply can't do it. You might get a salad, which is mostly air and water, and you will never be satisfied with a kale salad. Because if you're going to do that, you need a bowl like the size of a watermelon in order to get Uh enough energy that way. And so, I have a hard time when I travel just ordering vegetables. Yeah, <laughs> <And> I know.
3: <laughs> it,
1: it, we, we just we have big problems with the quality of oils. So, this is something that is rapidly changing. Like sales of some of the processed foods are down 20 30%. Like big food is quaking right now because yeah. companies like mine and, and, and dozens of others were disrupting them. And they taught me in business school at Wharton, look, it's cheaper to spend a dollar telling people that your product is high quality than it is to make your product high quality. And like, I just reject that. Like, no, you have to make food that makes people feel good first and taste good second and is convenient third and then is cost effective fourth. And what everyone has done throughout the history of food has been how do I make it taste good and cheap? And that's all that's mattered. And it's like, what's the food do for you? It wasn't part of the equation. And if we build that into our awareness as people, we'll stop buying the crap and then they'll stop making it. And that's, yeah. I think we're really on the cusp of that. And the internet's driving it because people talk about what works. When you see someone just lost 20 pounds without feeling any hunger and like, oh yeah, yeah, it was kind of a side effect. I just like how I feel. That's the goal. And when we do that, I think we're going to see longer telomeres. We're, we're going to see just less chronic stress from hunger, <laughs> nothing else. Yeah. But yeah. let's let's talk about chronic stress. Because one thing that excited me about your work is that you're talking about epigenetics. and. Epigenetics has been in every one of my books and this is that science about how What's in the environment around you changes your gene expression and you found that people? Aged more quickly and they had telomere effects if they were socially disadvantaged people who are caregivers people who are victims of violence or really interesting for me is early childhood adversity people who were bullied or I would also say probably people with a traumatic birth are at risk of this as well, because early childhood yeah. adversity starts the moment you come into the world. And that was yeah. something I dealt with.
3: Yeah. So, right. So all of this is, I mean, this this whole body of work on stress has been building up. And we know that this adversity in childhood, so, you know, really child abuse, neglect, material deprivation, uh, serious economic adversity, those things appear to shorten tail mirrors. Yeah. And lifespan, stress, you know, what we do when we're older, I mean, a lot of that's complicated. If you're a caregiver, you might be, your telomeres might be fine. So then so then we're getting into personality, resilience, resources. There's lots of resilience in um, in adults, but children don't have those options. So what we see is that we get imprinting, we get what we call biological embedding, where when children face adversity, trauma, uh, being uh, orphans, et cetera, we see changes in the brain. We see changes in the epigenetic patterns and telomere shortness. I put telomere shortening in kind of an epigenetic category. No one knows where to put the telomeres, mm-hmm. but they're, you know, they're not the genome. They're kind of the tip of it. So there's another marker that you probably ha- have seen, which is called the epigenetic clock. And that's also like telomeres looking like, well, this pattern of methylation, we're all getting more methylated mm-hmm. over time. This pattern, number one, being more methylated beyond your years predicts a- aging and, de- and death. So, the, so it, like telomeres, it's it's a way of looking into the cell and saying even if this person doesn't have disease, there's biological aging that's happened.
1: From, from over methylation, you're talking about
3: over methylation, and then same with now kind of uh, in, in the health behaviors that we have are also possibly shaping the epigenetic clock. This is all kind of new and there's there's not that many studies, but the early childhood trauma uh, is is again looking like it's causing this early epigenetic aging. So really, you know, all these things that we know are causing early disease, if we look really early and we look at the cell, we we know we can see these mechanisms. It's not really that much of a mystery. There's so many pathways and it comes down to our DNA and our epigenome
1: it's one of my theories that one of the reasons I dealt with a lot of the stuff that I dealt with in my own health and all as a younger man is that I was born with a cord wrapped around my neck. So they, you know, when that happens, this early birth trauma, it it does leave an imprint and I've Mm. gone back. and, And there are ways you can go back and sort of edit that experience in the body and even reset some of the epigenetic expression. And there's neurofeedback, there's holotropic breathing, there's EMDR. And right. I lead executives through this. And the number of very successful entrepreneurs today who are successful because they were bullied or because they had early early childhood trauma, it's found that one of the responses is I'm going to become hyper successful uh, more because I'm running away from the bullying uh, than because yeah. I'm moving towards something that's fulfilling. And I fundamentally ah. believe that we can, we can go back and change that. And when you do it, you see people able to release toxins they couldn't release before. I mean, like mercury from the system. Excretion can go up when someone releases an old trauma. And when you and I talk about trauma, the average person listening to this who isn't familiar with psychology and all, like, like I don't have any trauma. My parents were just fine. You're like, actually, we all have trauma because kids don't really have a very good rational way of thinking. So we all have traumatic experiences that we don't even know about, like that that we, we weren't intended to be traumatic. And then some of us have like, Abusive parents or dysfunctional stuff or you know, we were orphaned or just all these things But it's not in the general conversations. It's, oh, that affects who you are as an adult in a very meaningful way psychologically, but also Biologically. Yeah, and yeah. you're coming across Absolutely. that now, right?
3: Yeah, I think this whole there's there's a huge therapeutic area that hasn't been studied well somatic therapy and it is it is all about how we embody trauma, and our, you know, adverse life experiences, we may not be aware of it, but it is affecting us and it is embodied in different ways. So, you know, some of these ways may be these epigenetic patterns, changes in the nervous system calibration, being more vigilant, you know, behavioral patterns, these habits that we have, There, there are a lot of ways we embody our life experience that we're not so aware of. And the somatic therapies are like this treasure chest, no one understands them well, no one studies them well, but it's working with the body, not necessarily psychotherapy that appears to have some really profound
1: effects. What are your favorite somatic therapies that could help people with telomere shortness?
3: So, that's a really good question. There are a lot out there and they're not well studied. So I won't comment on my favorites. I, I do, I know a lot about the mind body yeah. exercises and all these, the, the kind of Eastern Asian practices cause we study those. And, right. uh, and i personally have a good positive addiction to to certain types of yoga so for me that's like you know talk about kind of placid high vagal tone states where i've like gotten rid of you know i mean for me it like kills rumination it's a meditation and of course and it depends on the the right teacher and the right type so it's not just any yoga um but but in terms of this your question about like how do we um how do we get rid of some of these experiences we not, might not be aware of? One of the things that we know from research today more than we ever have is that our prenatal experience <laughs> is, so, is so profound Yeah, and we will never know what we inherited. But when we study, let's just say the big ticket items, we're like, did someone die when you were pregnant? Did you get divorced? Did you you know suddenly, unexpectedly lose your home or your job? The big things those predict telomere shortness in the cord blood. They predict worse pregnancy outcomes, smaller babies, you know, worse metabolic health as an adult. So like they're, they're imprinting that pregnancy period is, you know, literally a critical period. And we don't really think about that much. We can't do anything about it, but it did partly shape us. And what we can do now is of course, support all of the pregnant women around us, right? Because that is like, Precious yeah. moments where they need support and not talk, you know, to be protected from toxic my, stress
1: My very first book was called the better baby book And it's all about pre and perinatal stuff You can do because if you want to really have an aggressive anti-aging strategy It starts three months before you're conceived <laughs> and like Your parents have to do it yeah. for you and the people who really benefit the most are your grandkids because it's multi-generational, mm-hmm. right? And uh-huh. I i'm i'm grateful mm-hmm. that you brought that up because, yeah, the stuff that happens in the womb is so impactful. And especially in the U.S., we've built this, this really kind of fearful, toxic attitude towards pregnancy as like a medical condition. And it's kind of a special time. Uh, so anytime, just if you're listening, anytime you have a chance to be nice to someone who's pregnant, you're really doing yeah. a huge favor because we have the most <laughs> leverage of any time in a person's life in the womb. And the leverage yeah. you have to affect how how well you live and how long you live, it drops off with time, starting even that early. And and so yeah. you want to get the most return on what you do. You know, open the door for someone who's pregnant or carry her groceries out. <laughs> like that can have a much bigger impact than right. anyone would and ever things imagine. Like,
3: right. An antecedent leave, like because it's not just That you know you're all of a sudden ready to have a baby. Like you should have a whole transition period of restorative, relaxation, and support before that baby's born. Not like the week before. Yeah, yeah. We're not good at that. Scandinavian countries do this antecedent leave. It's um.
1: It's funny you say that. My wife is Swedish, and she runs a fertility coaching practice. She's an MD, uh, and uh, that's a big part of what she tells her clients. Who are mostly entrepreneurs and celebrity types. And it's like, look. You need to chill if you want to get pregnant. And while you're pregnant, you can't fly all over the world uh, because it's really rough on you, but it's also rough on the baby. But getting, you know, nine months of chill time is really hard to do right now.
3: Yeah, yeah. One of my postdocs had cut her leave to one week before the baby was due, and I was like, No, you know, you're starting now, you need more time. And she just wrote me and said, I didn't even know how much I needed that extra few weeks. And, uh, you know, it's, it probably changed a lot of biochemistry. So, so there's a rat study you would like. So no one studied like the stress effects on, on rat mamas and then the pup effects with telomeres. Uh, I'm sorry, they have, so like stressing out, uh, stressing out mama chicks, causes shorter telomeres than the birds. But I wanted to mention a grandmother effect. This is really cool work by, um, Susan Ozan in the UK. When these little, uh, these mice are deprived of protein, there's a grandmother effect, meaning that mice is, uh, then having babies where the eggs are affected and it's the granddaughter that comes out with really short telomeres and ovarian aging and, and she can <laughs> block it. Oh, so, CoQ enzyme is apparently really protective for this epigenetic transmission. We don't know about in people. I shouldn't have told you that. Now you're going to try it. No, just kidding. <laughs> you can't get pregnant, Dave. We can't. We can't do that experiment. <laughs> I,
1: I had a chance once to ask Craig Venter, the, the guy who created yeah. the Human okay. Genome Project, the first human to uh, to sequence his entire genome, and he's on stage at a small conference with Peter Diamandis, one of my favorite conferences called Abundance 360, and. I said, Craig, you've got you know, 20 years of data and all this stuff, and what advice would you have based on all that data right now, or should we all just have pizza and beer and wait for more knowledge?
3: And <laughs> I love it.
1: he kind of tipped his head at me. He goes, let's talk about it over pizza and beer. And I was like, no, because what's going on with these rat studies? We know that what we're doing, like we're all going to die, uh, because apparently being alive is a life-threatening condition. And... <laughs> Uh, so, I'm willing to take an animal study and say, well, directionally, I didn't have any direction before. So, at least I'm going to kind of head north or east or <laughs> west or wherever, knowing that we'll tighten it over time. And it's it's just a different perspective where most of medicine in particular is all about, look, if we don't know with 100% certainty uh, that do no harm thing, it's like, well, you're doing harm when you're eating your French fries and you're doing harm when you're doing all this other stuff. So, I I know I might be wrong, but I'm probably more right Than I was based on the knowledge from the animal study, which is why yeah, I'll take and the
3: reason you can do this is because you're an entrepreneur if you're sitting where I'm sitting Mm -hmm. in a university where everything is regulated. Oh, yeah, uh, we, we can't take any of those risks
1: and it's it's kind of sad too. the other thing that's affecting the world really negatively right now is it is illegal for food companies to say what foods do for you. Right, and because if you say a food has any effect on biology, now it's a drug claim, and the food is, at least in the US, is legally regulated as a drug. Mm. So if, if I was say coffee does X in 500 studies, it doesn't matter, you're not allowed to say that. And it's like, well, wait, what's going on here? So now we have this, this just weird, mm. like kind of lack of free speech around this. And the cool thing is social media and the internet are, are breaking that, where people will talk mm. about the studies and they'll say, well, I tried this and it worked. And then you have 100,000 people who tried it. And then you get their data using something like Viome that looks at changes in gut bacteria or using one of the tests you talk about with mitochondria. And all of a sudden, we have enough data to say, you know what? We might not know why it works, but it works. And we can say that and then do a rigorous academic study. And we just mm-hmm. couldn't do that because mm-hmm. the data, we couldn't gather yeah. the data before. So I'm, I'm more excited than I've ever been about the chances yeah. to do that.
3: It's I'm so excited to hear what you find. You're obsessed with mitochondria. I'm gonna tell you about what we found oh, yes, yes. recently. We do. So I've been working with this uh uh young mitochondria researcher, Martin Picard at Columbia, and we've been taking blood from people looking at their how high and active their mitochondrial enzymes are, like controlling for total mitochondria, right? We're just like, how potent are they? Nice. And here's what we find. First of all, we find that if you are a caregiver, a mom with a child with a chronic condition, you have dampened enzymes. This is this is depressing, but not too surprising, right? That's as a group. But then you look inside the group and you say, wait a minute. We see these caregivers with like really good mitochondria. How are they different? So then we look at their day, we examine their day. And what we've done is we have asked them from the moment they wake up, we say, how much are you looking forward to the day? How much are you worrying about the day? You know, how happy are you? How stressed or anxious are you? Right. So we're constantly looking at what we call kind of not just affect and emotion, but like appraisals of like what's going to happen good or bad? You know, when it really comes down to it, it's kind of like threat or challenge. Are you really kind of threatened and concerned that you are going to do badly or something bad's going to happen? Or are you kind of seizing the moment and you're seeing opportunities and hope and gain, right? So those are uh, what we call threat and challenge. So we examine this when they wake up, we examine this when the their most stressful thing happens to them that day. Maybe child has a tantrum, uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, when you think about what's your most stressful thing, it might just be that you're late for work. But like there are a lot of events that happen to people that they carry with them for the rest of the day. They're ruminating, et cetera. And at right. night mood is really important because it's the residue. It's the recovery. How positive is your mood when you get home from work in the evening and before bed? How positive is it? And so that we we checked all the times of the mm-hmm. day, morning. Uh, after stress, evening. And here's what we find the women with the best mitochondria have higher positive affect when they wake up and when they go to bed, but especially bedtime. Wow. And so it's that really, it's that kind of recovery mood that residue from everything that happened to us. How much can we still feel content and positive and hopeful? And that matters, even if you're a caregiver. Wow. And that is tight. Type- Mitochondria activity, so we're gonna go after that and look at it, you know on a daily basis and really see can we move around mitochondria Can we boost positive affect and boost those enzymes?
0: Well, I,
1: I would love to talk with Martin also. Um, so if you make the introduction, right. I'd be grateful And yeah. it, it right. reminds you of one of the, the things that's in most of my books and certainly a practice that I, I do regularly and that I recommend for people is that when you go to bed at night and I just every night with my kids It's like tell me three things you're grateful for because if you can turn cool. on a sense of gratitude right before you go to sleep, it shifts yeah. your nervous system. And what this new unpublished study you're talking about, it sounds like it might also shift your telomere yeah. enzymes, what which you're is describing ridiculously cool.
3: Kind of like, yeah, and that's kind of our intervention. What you just described is like, that's something we know that works with research is like this this uh, recalling something you're, you're grateful for. Isn't it amazing? It's so powerful. And so this is actually the it,
1: intervention you're using in the study?
3: It's one of them. There's a couple of <laughs> Oh my God, that's so on. cool. You didn't know no. that? Oh yeah, that's huge. The, the the recalling gratitude either when you go to bed or when you wake up, ding-dong. you change your your affect balance. Good. You, you that was a very original. I hear. Yeah. I hear that was that you came up with that on your own. Yet one more. Uh,
1: I'm uh, I'm blown thing. away to find out that there's changes in telomeres. I uh, my understand. Well,
3: uh, yeah, this was the mitochondria. Oh, it was just okay. The, I,
1: I can see the mitochondrial thing. Yeah, okay. the
3: telomere uh, enzyme. We also. Um, our finding is related to a prey that threat challenge mm-hmm. I was talking about So the feeling more of the positive stress is associated with more of that of that the telomerase enzyme that the enzyme that protects telomeres and and in one study the longer telomeres So, you know, maybe both but it's the mitochondria. We think that are responsive on a daily basis
1: my theory on this is that in mitochondria are individually and as a network sensing the environment around you and if you believe some of the researchers out there, I believe that they're the, the sensors that control epigenetics. So something is telling the cells whether to turn genes on or off. And when you just look at the, bio, the biology and biochemistry, it's the mitochondria. So they're, they're sensing everything, including their individual bacterial threat posture analysis and then the network one, and that kind of rolls up into our body. But one thing they listen to is, mag- is magnetic fields. And your heart's making a giant magnetic field. When you go into a state of gratitude, it changes heart rate variability, which they can and do sense, which I think has, like, that's one of the primary ways that your your distributed network of sensors is picking up what's going on in your brain to figure out this emotional stress. And that's one of the reasons I think heart rate variability work is so important. And if you're not going to do that, just the things like gratitude, forgiveness, and just realizing how amazing the world is, even if there's problems, it for me, it's, it's made me a more functional human being and whether or not it's affecting your mitochondria or it just affects the quality of your life, I'm willing to do it. And maybe 20 years from now, we'll also find out like it affects the invisible leprechauns yeah. that control us all. I have no idea, but th- there's all kinds of stuff we don't know. Um, yeah. But- <laughs>
3: yeah, right. But the big effects, things like that, the, you know, the gratitude, like you stick with that, you're safe, you're probably changing mitochondria and telomerase and, uh, you know, a thousand other good things.
1: I, I had no <laughs> idea we would uh, get there in this interview, which is really cool. How long does it take for a gratitude practice or meditation or yoga or any of those in order to affect your molecular dynamics, to affect your biology?
3: That's a fabulous question. Uh, there is, so the study that we're about to publish. Is mind blowing, and we probably won't get to publish it for years until it gets through a lot of skeptical reviewers. But we basically found that within three weeks of an intensive uh, meditation retreat, beautiful place, mm-hmm. you're eating vegetarian food, uh, n- there was telomere lengthening in the in this group. So that's a very short period for a change, but it was an intense change, right? We're changing sleep and stress yeah. and diet and they're meditating. So they're also t- turning on restorative activities. Um, so we don't know what happens in a day. And to me, it's all about the moment and the day. And those are the units that add up mm-hmm. and make it a three week effect and then make it a year, you know, a longitudinal effect, et cetera. So um, that's all we can control anyway. Right. It comes down to To this very moment
1: i'm really excited to see uh, to see that study when it comes out and in the meantime i know that there's long-term effects i've done lots of personal growth retreats and uh, you've inspired me now i'm going to i'll chat with you offline about the right types of telomere testing but for the 40 years of zen program where it's you know five day really intense neurofeedback uh, I will at least for a few guinea pig people uh, I will get some data on that because it, that'd be really awesome fun.
3: I'd love to see the data. Okay. All right. It, wonderful to talk with you. It, Dave. It's a
1: deal Well, I have one more question <laughs> for you before uh, before we go
2: Okay. If
1: someone came to you tomorrow and they said Alyssa, I want to perform better at everything. I do as a human being What are the three most important pieces of advice you have for me? What would you offer them?
3: There's this pill. No, I'm just kidding. So,
1: Best answer ever. Not,
3: you know, you know, my answer is going to be, it's actually things we've already talked about. Um, so one of them is, let's just say two psychological and one behavioral, okay. right? So one is, uh, these two forces in our life, fundamental forces, love and fear. So love is social connection. We need our tribe. We need to be feeling like we're help that we belong. We're helping people. They're helping us. We have support. And the opposite of that is feeling unsafe. We don't feel safe when we're isolated and we die earlier when we are feeling socially isolated, et cetera. So we need to boost up social connection and that also means our connection with ourself, right? So then that that gets into being able to know our mind and and live with our ridiculous ruminative processes where we pay attention to negative more and do some corrections on that, and so that we can be equanimous in the moment. And that's you know whatever it is for each person. Meditation is a great way, but there are other ways to get there. And then uh, that will reduce the. And the feeling unsafe because that's what it's all about for pro aging, environmental psychological effects of pro aging. It's about safety and and becoming able to be uh, in a restorative mode most of the time instead of a threat mode. And then the behavioral one is exercise. So not too much, but it's got to be vigorous.
0: All right, (laughs) it's
3: gonna you know clean out the cells and help our brain uh, you know be in our let us be in our very best state, our true essence, and not our threatened, overwhelmed, cognitively overloaded self.
1: Absolutely love it. Uh, Alyssa, where can people (laughs) find out more about your work and your book?
3: So I've got a website called AME, which is Aging Metabolism Emotions. So they just type in AME UCSF, they'll find me or my name. And on my lab website, and our Aging Metabolism Emotions website, we have uh, a link for the telomere effect, where we say, if you want to understand where to get your telomeres tested and what the pros and cons are, this is our bottom line as of today. It always changes. There's always new work, but Liz Blackburn and I wrote up, uh, our thoughts on telomere testing as well as the different tests. Um, and it also, uh, of course the, you know, the book is called the telomere effect. It's easy to get. It came out in, um, january also made it to the new york times best under science and i agree with you that was an important yeah, that's so cool it feels
1: so good right <laughs>
3: yeah um and uh you know so i have events on the website we always have conferences and retreats and fun things for boosts of science and contemplative practice
1: well thank you so much for being on bulletproof radio i absolutely appreciate it and what a fun interview
3: thank you so much this was great fun i learned a lot <laughs>
1: If you like today's episode, you know what to do, go ahead and pick up a copy of the telomere effect. And while you're at it, go to Amazon and leave a review uh, for Liz Blackburn and Alyssa Apple, the authors of that. And maybe do one for Headstrong as well, because as authors, we totally look at those reviews on Amazon, it's one of the the simplest things you can do to show some gratitude. It'll take you literally 30 seconds, but we notice. (laughs) So thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.